On this week's episode, we'll be covering part three of our limited series on Killers of the Sunshine State, new additions to the You Can't Make This Stuff Up, and a new police department is born. That much and more right here on the 1086-108 podcast. Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of the 1086-108 Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Lee Alexander. And I'm Matt Taylor. Uh, Welcome to part three of our five-part series on Killers of the Sunshine State. As we said previously, we're covering the lesser-known killers who stalked Florida in years past. Many big-name killers have done their work in Florida. Even the man referred to as the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history, Samuel Lill, took his first victim in Florida. After he was finally convicted in 2014, he decided to talk about his crimes. During those interviews, he mentioned two occasions where he almost got caught when he was stopped by police while he had a dead victim in his car. One of those times took place in Florida. His unprecedented killing spree covered over 35 years and 93 victims. Wow. His deeds will eventually become a multi-episode event later this year for us here on the 10-E-6-10-8 podcast. That's a lot of victims. That's a bunch. All right, so this week we're going to talk about Eddie Lee Mosley, a serial killer who is known to have killed at least eight women between 1973 and 1987 in his hometown of Fort Lauderdale. Mosley was born March 31, 1947, the third of ten children in a poor family. He suffered many Mental instabilities early on. Due to his limited mental capacity, Mosley left school after the third grade. As a teenager, Mosley began displaying an antisocial personality due to lack of formal education. He was only able to get low-skilled, low-paying jobs. This resulted in him experiencing financial difficulties. So he turned to a life of crime. Starting in 1965, he was arrested on numerous Uh, He was arrested numerous times for crimes such as indecent behavior, robbery, attempted murder, and murder. This led to him spending over five years in prison and another six years in a psychiatric facility. That was hard to say, psychiatric. Psychiatric. Yeah, that's not a fun word. No. In just a little less than two years, uh, between November 1971 and July 1973, uh, over 150 rapes were reported in northern F- Fort Lauderdale. The suspect was described as a young black male, tall, with an athletic build and a scar in his left cheek. The suspect would threaten to harm the victims and then took them to isolated areas where he choked and sexually abused them. On July 23, 1973, three women identified Mosley as their attacker. He was a perfect match for the description provided to include the scar on his left cheek. As a result of his arrest, his photo was circulated and 40 more victims came forward and identified him as the rapist. During this time, he was also a suspect in the murder of two girls in early 1973. However, due to there being insufficient evidence, no charges were filed for the murders and Mosley was only charged with the rapes and assaults. Prior to his trial, a mental evaluation determined... Uh, He was insane. 
Uh, so he was committed to the Florida State Mental Hospital, where he spent the next five years. To no one's surprise, uh, no other similar rapes occurred during that time. That's a lot of people, man. That's a lot. All right, so Mosley was transported uh, to the South Florida State Hospital in February of 1979. And after completing a five-month treatment course, he was deemed cured and no longer a threat to society. Oops. Damn. Oh, he's good. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then subsequently released. Though he was out in the community, he still had to continue his treatment by visiting a psychiatrist in Fort Lauderdale. Mosley was living with his parents after his release, and during the next seven months, seven young women were found raped and murdered. All of the murders were committed near Mosley's home. Law enforcement quickly had Mosley on their radar, and due to the extra scrutiny, Mosley was moved to his grandmother's residence in Lakeland in early 1980. Shortly after his arrival, two young girls went missing, Ida Eagles and Lethetta May Williams. Mosley was quickly arrested and interviewed. However, he was later released since the girls' bodies had not been located. Back to Fort Lauderdale, where on April 12, 1980, he was arrested when he was caught attempting to rape a young girl. He was later tried and convicted and sentenced to five excuse me, 15 years in prison. While he was in prison, the remains of Eagles and Williams were recovered. Mosley was being held in a Broward County jail where he continued to exhibit ever-increasing violent behavior, even telling guards he was going to burn down the jail. Mosley's family hired an attorney to handle an appeal based on the incompetence of Mosley's trial attorney since he didn't ask for a psychological evaluation. The appeals court found cause and overturned the conviction and ordered a new trial. The new trial took the mitigating circumstances into consideration and sentenced Mosley to a shorter term. And since he'd already served years on December 15th, 1983, he was paroled. He once again quickly came to the attention of police when in January of 1984, the bodies of two women... Geraldine Barfield, 36, and Emma Cook, 54, were found in northwestern Fort Lauderdale. They had been raped and suffocated. On May 17, 1984, he was arrested for the rape of a 22-year-old woman. At his trial, he pled not guilty and claimed the sex was consensual. His lawyers were able to convince the jury that Mosley had promised the woman drugs for sex. As a result, in October, he was found not guilty and released. After he became a suspect in the murder of two more women in Fort Lauderdale, the Broward County Sheriff's Office contacted the FBI, and they created an offender profile that very much matched Eddie Mosley. In the spring of 1987, Mosley again came under scrutiny by local law enforcement in regards to the rape and murder of 24-year-old Centriel Love. On May 17, 1987, Mosley was arrested for theft. By then, his blood type was matched with the semen samples taken from the bodies of the murder victims, and it was found to be a match. During his interview, Mosley showed evidence of his involvement in numerous crimes committed over almost two decades, all com committed in the city or near his home. Faced with detailed descriptions of where the bodies were found, their names, and descriptions, Mosley tried to make up an alibi. <clears throat> but began to mess up his testimony, getting dates, 
geographic data, and even seasons wrong. In the end, he confessed to the murders of Teresa Gills and Emma Cook, uh, with which he was charged. Uh, his trial began in July 22, 1987, with a number of sex workers working at the Fort Lauderdale Red Light District, testifying that Mosley had repeatedly demonstrated aggressive uh, behavior towards women in front of the crowds of witnesses. Based on a variety of tests, his IQ was measured at 51 points, which is below the average intelligent rate. As a result, it was ruled that he was incompetent to stand trial. On October 23rd, he was sentenced to compulsory treatment at the Florida State Hospital. For the rest of his life, Eddie Mosley uh, moved amongst different psychiatric facilities. In 2000, his blood and saliva uh, were taken for DNA testing and matching. Based on the results, Mosley was shown to be guilty of the following murders. Loretta Young-Brown, 29, killed in 1984. Veta Turner, 34, killed July 9, 1973. Sonia Yvette Marion, 13, killed July 1979. Terry Jean Cummings, killed August 1979. Emma Cook, 54, killed January 1984. Teresa Giles, age unknown, killed January 1984. Eddie Mosley was later connected to the April 1985 murder of eight-year-old Shandor Whitehead, who had been raped and murdered in her home. Mosley was again arrested for the murder of 15-year-old Naomi Gamble, but due to his mental condition, he was found incompetent to stand trial. Over the years, Mosley was labeled friendly and was never disciplined, so in the late 1990s, this serial killer was moved to low risk and allowed to leave the facility to go to Walmart. The story of Eddie Lee Mosley came to an end on May 28, 2020, when he died at the age of 73 of complications related to COVID-19. Um, not sure that's a fitting in for this guy, but let's talk about it. He's a shitbag. So here's the, they say that he is incompetent to stand trial. Right. But he was competent enough to rape and murder all these victims. Right. What? Uh, it, it's a confusing thing. I, again, it's 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 as if our court system looks to find ways to not hold people accountable for their actions. All right. So, okay, he let's say he's he has diminished capacity because of his mental level. Mm -hmm. Does that still mean he's not a danger? No. Does I'll... that still mean <laughs> he is a, not a threat? I mean, come on, dude. He even was lying about. Trying to come up with an alibi. So if he's competent enough to come up with an alibi, he's competent enough to murder and rape these women. And why isn't he competent enough to be held accountable? Well, I think the the simple task is if he's able to figure out what he what he did is wrong, then he understands the the uh, consequences consequences for his actions. Right. Well, obviously, he's already making up bullshit alibis, so he's smart enough to know that what he's done is wrong. I, how many victims? Eight? Eight. Eight victims? Well, t ten when you count the, uh, the, last two. the two that got added, yeah. Ten victims. Why? 
Right. Then they let him back out. This is what blows my mind. Well, if, if you go back and look from the very beginning, you know, even we're dealing with just the rapes, uh, he, they kept finding ways of, oh, no, we'll send him to a, a psychiatric. Oh, he's cured. Let's let him out. Mm-hmm. And you let him out, and he kills seven people right away in seven months. How How is it then that simply because of his mental capacity or lack thereof that – it's okay. It's all right. We're, we we feel sorry for you, so we're going to let you slide. Well, well, he committed these crimes, knowing the difference between right and wrong, because just by his actions during mm-hmm. interviews, uh, he determined he knew the difference between right and wrong. And that's the key. And then they put him in mental facilities to where he basically lives the life he wants to lead. Mm-hmm. And then toward the end, he's allowed to just... Wander around Walmart? Yeah, right? Now, now let's go back and look at, you know, when, when you're dealing with a child and you're interviewing a child and you, you qualify that child and mm-hmm. you determine, do they know the difference between right and wrong? Correct. Do they know the difference between truth and a lie? Mm-hmm. And you do those things to determine whether or not you can trust what they say. Why does the same not apply to an adult? If he knows the difference between right, right and wrong, which he did. Mm-hmm. And he knew the difference between a truth and a lie, and he did. Why is he not then still held to the same level as a child? Because due to his mental capacity, oh, he's like a child. Okay, we'll qualify him like a child. He meets the qualifications. So therefore, why is he not held accountable for his actions? Well, by by what we, we spoke about. He was out seven months, killed seven women. Right. After he'd already been convicted mm-hmm. and released. Right. Because he was cured. Yeah. Um, but my issue is... They got that one wrong. My issue is, who's held liable for all those deaths? Exactly. Is it the judicial system? Or is it the, is it the doctors? Yeah. Who, who, who's going to take on that responsibility? Right. Hey, I, you I win some, all... you lose some is probably the way they look at it. Well, here's what it is. 73 yeah. goes tits up. Over COVID. Over COVID-19. Well, yeah, hey. That's not cool. COVID got something right. Well, hopefully he'll rot in hell, too. Yeah. Right there next to a booby boy. But I'm sure there'll no, be a lot. No, it's Bobby. Of, I'm sorry, Bobby. Right. I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people go, oh, his mental capacity, he's in heaven. You know what? Fuck him. Yeah. He's a piece of shit. Somebody should have killed him a long time ago. Yep. I agree with you on that one. Look at all the victims, the the state and the mental facilities subjected well, when you, you know, take into consideration, it's not just, you know, his eight, ten victims, their families, mm-hmm. their families were impacted uh, for their lives. And this guy is, is allowed to go to Walmart. I don't get it. I don't know. It's another one for the, you just can't make the shit up. Welcome to Florida. <laughs> yeah, right. The fuck. All right. Let's move on to the next story. All right. We came across something interesting that uh, we wanted to talk about. The first new police department in New York in many decades started operations Monday at Syracuse Hancock International Airport. The newly formed Syracuse Regional Authority Police Department began patrolling the airport's grounds and passenger terminal at midnight taking over for, from Syracuse police officers who have provided security at the airport for most of its existence. Consisting of 21 members, a chief, a captain, and 19 patrol officers, 
The department is the first new police department formed in the state in at least 50 years, airport officials said. It's something that doesn't come around every day, said Airport Police Chief Mark Werbeck, who retired from the Syracuse Police Department with the rank of sergeant in August following a 25-year career with the force. Previously, the airport hired off-duty city police officers to patrol the airport. The airport authority was established in 2011 and took over management of the airport from the city in 2014. At the authority's request, state lawmakers approved legislation in June creating the airport's own police force. Warbach said having its own police force gives the authority more control over personnel, staffing, and resources. Most of the new department's officers recently retired from various departments, including the state police, the Onondaga County Sheriff's Office, and the Oneida Nation. Chief Warbeck and Captain Anthony Sobick uh, are full-time employees of the department. Executive Director Jason Terrier, I can't say that name, (laughs) said all the other officers on the force will work on a part-time basis with none working more than 29 hours a week. The department will patrol the airport around the clock. The officers wear police uniforms, all black, with a shoulder patch featuring the letters SYR and an image of the plane taking off. They carry guns and have full authority to use force and arrest people. Werbach, a Solvay native, oversaw the Syracuse Police Department's airport section as part of his duties at the department, serving as the direct liaison between the department and the Airport Authority. Serbeck is a 28-year veteran of the city's police force. During his career, he commanded the department's Southwest District and later commanded its Patrol Services Division. The airport police will be encouraged to engage with the travelers, answering their questions and assisting any, in any other way they can. Um, Warbeck said that we are creating a kind of customer service aspect at the airport throughout a law enforcement position. All right. Well, that's interesting. Their first uh, department in 50 years. That's crazy. Oh, well, happy birthday, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just out of curiosity, you ever notice how we like slaughter these names, dude? <laughs> no. It's, it's madness. It's like, what What was that? You're saying Warbuck. I'm sorry, Warbeck. Warbeck. It's worth something. Just say The chief. That guy. How's that? That guy. The chief and the captain. Those guys. That's right. Now, we are really happy to report this week that we don't have any line of duty desk to talk about that's awesome that's that that makes for a happy day yes so what we're going to talk about now is let's kind of cover what we've covered in our first few episodes of the uh the three serial killers, killers of the sunshine state uh yeah i i one thing that keeps coming back to me is is the failure of the judicial system to protect the majority of these victims right because if you look at uh two of them at least uh they were they were they were caught they were arrested but then they were turned around and let go and it seemed like afterwards they'd killed more people they did and and it's just and and it seems like the system just comes to find excuses as how not to hold them accountable for what they do well you're always innocent until proven guilty but the unfortunate part about it is if you're blatantly guilty Mm-hmm. Why? Why are we tolerating any of it? Right, because I mean, even if even if you're a naysayer mm-hmm. and you go, okay, well, it, he he was convicted, but it might 
be a false conviction. It may not be right. Well, okay, fine. But in a case where the guy's not only convicted, not only when you have evidence like DNA and fingerprints, Mm -hmm. not just witness testimony, because if you go back and look at most of the convictions that turn out to be faulty convictions, they were based on eyewitness testimony Mm -hmm. or eyewitness, uh, you know, uh, uh, identification. Mm -hmm. Not when there's DNA involved, not when there's fingerprints involved. Uh, So when you have a guy that's convicted and the DNA and the fingerprints confirm it and he confesses, and then on top of it, he confesses with details that only the killer would know, Mm -hmm. it's time to stop wasting time and let's put him out of our misery. Right. Well, let's back up a little bit. Um, Majorities of these serial killers started years ago. Right. Uh, With that in mind, the collection of evidence is different nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, Testing is different nowadays. Right. But there's a whole slew of things. But, you know, you go out and you rape 50 women and everybody's going, yeah, he did it. He did it. He did it. The guy gets locked up mm-hmm. uh, because he's identified by scars and obviously other things. Mm-hmm. But they let him go. Right. And he kills seven people. Somebody screwed Eight people, the nine people, one. however many victims we have. And right. it's, it's it's horrible. It's unex- it's it, There's no excuse for that shit. No. And, and the, the odd thing is, is though, even though we have the new modern technology. Mm-hmm. We still have the people like Bobby Joe Long who sit on death row for decades. <laughs> Do I really want to go back on that? <laughs> I'm just How saying. much money the taxpayers are loads dishing out to keep these people alive. Lots of money. And again, I, I have a different thought process on it than most I'm thinking. I don't know. I just I don't see the rhyme or reason to blow shit tons of money to keep these people that have been convicted of murder on death row for 20 plus years. Yeah. What's the benefit to anybody? Yeah. Even to them, mm-hmm. you know? All right. Now, I mean, that, that's funny in itself, but uh, it's time for some, some humor uh, to be injected into the conversation. So let's, uh, what's up on the new additions to you can't make that shit up. Well, here, here's one. that's kind of funny. Actually, it's kind of shitty. <laughs> I'm just going to let it go with that. Oh. The title is A Florida Man Found With Drugs After Getting Trapped in a Porta Potty. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> a, a Florida man found stuck inside a porta potty was arrested and charged with possession of drugs by the Collier County Sheriff's Office um, after he was found screaming for help. <laughs> I'm trying know. to figure out how they found out he had drugs on him after he was uh, yelling for help. I don't know. Okay. So here's another one. Um, uh, uh, this is fucked up. A man eats his underwear to beat breathalyzer. That's what the title is. An 18-year-old man was uh, arrested for DUI. However, prior to the breathalyzer test, he tried to eat his underwear in hopes that the cotton fiber would absorb the alcohol before he was before he had to take the breathalyzer test. <laughs> Did it work? Uh, I didn't read all of it, but 
Uh, he was subsequently acquitted. <laughs> I guess it worked. So eat your underwear, eat your, So, you know, remember what your mom always said. Make sure you got clean underwear before you leave home. <laughs> and I'm going to leave you with this one. This one kind of blows my mind. It's in Nigeria. Uh, police in Nigeria are holding a goat on suspicion of attempted robbery. A goat? A goat. Vigilantes seized a black and white goat, saying it was an armed robber who had used black magic to transform himself into an animal to escape after trying to steal a Mazda. I got nothing. Uh, no, no. A goat, a goat stole a Mazda. When I first read that, I said, a goat? What did they get? Uh, Tom Brady? Yeah. yeah. There you go. That's bad. The greatest of all time? Yeah. Wow. Get the hell out of here. All right. But you have a group of people, vigilantes, actually trap a goat. Well, I think they need to check out what they were smoking or drinking before they trapped the goat. Uh, spokesman for the police <laughs> said that they have the goat in their custody. All oh, right. Jesus. They probably do. It's probably lunch. <laughs> <laughs> this right. shit you can't make up, dude. No, I, you I got nothing on these assholes. Oh, wow. All right. It's time for this week's shout outs. Let's start with one of my favorite YouTube channels, and that's Coffee House Crime. Uh, the host, Adrian, presents the cases after doing immense research. Each episode is both entertaining and educational, so take a minute and check out his channel. If true crime is your thing, check out True Crime Garage, the hosts, Nick, and the captain, and check their true insight and emotion in every show and have a unique process that I think you'll enjoy. Next time you're on a run at the gym or taking that daily commute, tune in to True Crime Garage. It's better than coffee. All right, Matt, you got anything to add? Yeah, I, uh, I hope you guys are enjoying our series on uh, serial killers in Florida, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Y'all take it easy. We'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the 1086 10A podcast.